If you have your Bibles with you today, please turn with me to Exodus, chapter 29. Exodus 29. And if you remember, in Exodus 29, the Lord is giving instruction to Moses about the consecration of the priests. To take Aaron, to take... Uh, his sons and consecrate them for um, for a holy task. And all through these chapters, the Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses on what to do in for the people, for Israel. And you know where we left off last week, or I don't know if it was last week or the week prior, uh, but where we left off, you know, he's giving these instructions. He 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 was teaching them, teaching Moses. Um, showing him the blueprints about taking these animals, taking these animals for sacrifice. In chapter 29, verse 1, he says, take one, one young bull and two rams without blemish. And then he starts to tell him to take, in verse 2, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. And he gives all these instructions to Moses a couple weeks ago, or the last time we studied on Wednesday, he's, he explained what to do exactly with those animals. And where we left off, we left off at the wave offering in verse 25. You know, it was, um, um, or in verse 24, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. And that's what's so powerful, how the Lord uses these people, how he takes this. It blows me away just to consider Moses, his intimacy that he has with the Lord, and thinking how just on cloud nine that Aaron's going to be. You know, when he comes down and says, Hey, Aaron, you know, the Lord told me that he was going to use you and your sons. But to see Moses come down the mountain, and what does he see? He sees egregious, egregious sin, even with Aaron and his sons. But that doesn't change the nature of the Lord. That doesn't change his promises at all. I mean, you yourself, if you've ever been in a situation where you are not aligned with the Lord... And then all of a sudden you start to read about his promises and you're like, no way, that's too good to be true. There is no way that can happen in my life. And yet something happens in the course of time where it's like, wow, Lord, way back then when you made these promises to me, here we are today. And now look, I can look back and see that you were there all along. Your hand was there. And maybe not in your life, maybe in the life of another such as Moses and Aaron. I mean, imagine Moses coming down the mountain and being like, okay, the Lord made a mistake. He really didn't mean Aaron. No, he didn't do that. Moses, you know, he had to have complete and total reliance upon the Lord. But then the Lord told him, okay, you're going to do some dividing, Moses, because he comes down the hill and he says, okay, down from the mountain, and he says, okay, if you want to be with the Lord, you come and stand here with me. If you don't want to be with the Lord, you come and stay over there. And you see an Old Testament example of that dividing. Remember, Jesus Christ says, do not think that I came to bring peace. 
I came to divide. And you have an Old Testament example of that as Moses as a type of Christ. And so you have here in verse 26. Remember, there's two rams. One is a one is a burnt offering and one is for consecration in verse 22 in verse um, in, in, in verse um, 18 says that, you know, it's a, a burnt offering uh, 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 is a burnt offering to the Lord is a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. But then in verse 22, at the end, it says, for it is a ram of consecration. This is the second ram. And this is what he says in verse 26. He says, then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. You start to see this Old Testament example of provision from the Lord. This provision that the Lord has for Aaron and his kids. It's it's something that is written in the law. This provision. And it's so powerful because what happens, you know, the Lord's promise, it, all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see the promise of the Lord is there, the provision for the priesthood. But when you start to see the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of the Lord lift away from the temple, it has nothing to do with the Lord. It has everything to do with either the priests or the kings of Israel. It's kind of sad because, you know, sometimes it's the people. But the majority of the time, it's either the priest or the king. It, very, it speaks very highly of leadership positions before the Lord. If you look at a family setting, look at the husband. The leadership role of a home. The spiritual leader. We live in a, you know, a, a society where you know, a lot of people are in total disagreement with the patriarchy. But you know what? I don't care what people have to say about that. Because the Bible speaks about a patriarchy. God the Father being number one. God the Son. And then what happens? Husbands as a covering to their families, as a covering to their homes for their wife and for their kids. That's the, that's the hierarchy of how you see things. And it's so incredibly beautiful because when you follow that Example, when you follow that blueprint, I can't explain it. It's totally supernatural. But things just start to align with the will of the Lord. And so this this particular passage speaking about the provision for the priesthood. You know, keep in mind that it's also part of Aaron's his consecration, this consecration as a wave offering before the Lord on full display. Remember when we talked about this? It was like, say, for example, if, you know, if, say, Fur was a priest, Old Testament priest. And, you know, I, I had a, uh, there was sin in my, in my, under my tent. I had a son or daughter that committed an egregious sin. And so I would correct my son or daughter and then I would take my lamb, you know, a, a, a spotless, the best, the cream of the crop. And I would present it to fur. And then he would kill it and speak, sprinkle some of the blood on me, sprinkle some of the blood on the altar. And it's so beautiful because it's, it's how sin in my tent is atoned for. You know, praise be to the Lord. We're not under the law. You know, we're under grace. 
But that doesn't change the nature of, you know, how God consecrates with blood. The blood of the Lamb, capital L. And him being the high priest. I'm speaking of Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what about, you know, in accordance with as new covenant believers, what about what the Lord does with us, with you and with me, when we have sin in our lives? And that's what I love so much about these Old Testament passages, because it's like we're going to get into Leviticus and there's like a lot of jot and a lot of tittle about exactly what the atonement for sin is. You know, we live in a day and age where people don't like to read the Old Testament. So it's like, okay, you know, Jesus forgives me. No big deal. But no, it's a huge deal, especially in light of what you see. Like, you know, when we get into the, uh, uh, the Levitical writings, we're going to see like, whoa, what a major process this is. The atoning for sin. And so in verse 27, he continues, he says, and from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. This is a pretty big deal because when he says a statute forever, it translates as a due portion in perpetuity, a due portion. And this is provision for the priesthood. So, for example, that example I gave where Fur was a priest in, the, in, in accordance with the Old Testament. I come and I give a lamb and, you know, and, and Fur is a, a priest after the Lord's heart. He's not playing any games. He's not doing any dirty tricks. He's after the, lo the Lord's own heart. And so all of a sudden, you know, he kills the animal. The blood comes out of the animal. He puts some of the blood on the altar, sprinkles some of the blood on me to atone for the sin and under my tent. And then he's able to take a piece of the, the, of the offering and eat it. It's for his food. He doesn't have to go to the grocery store. He doesn't have to go hunting. It's a provision for him. And these are things that are written in the law that it's provision for the priesthood. So what happened in the age of the tabernacle and in the age of the temple is that the priesthood, they didn't have to work. They didn't have to go out and get jobs because their work was for the Lord. Their work, so to speak, was for the holiness of the people. When there was sin in the camp, they were the ones to atone for the sin. Well, you know, they would be in the process of atoning for sin through the blood. People say, oh, that's for the Old Testament. No, it's also as New Covenant believers too. It's also for New Covenant believers. And, you know, we're, it's kind of interesting because we're going to talk about this more on Sunday as well. But turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> And we're going to read verse 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But also remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul starts to speak to the or write to the church in Corinth. 
about how he could have taken an offering from the church. How he had every right to take an offering from the church and use it. You know, go out to the grocery store, buy his food. He didn't have to work. He'd go to the grocery store, buy his food, you know, have a nice meal. And it would all be provided by the church. And Paul says, I had every right to do that. But I didn't do it. I chose not to do it because I desire to present the gospel free of charge. The gospel of Christ without charge. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He says, now for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. I love Paul so much. I mean, I loved, I loved Paul for a long time. But even when I read his word, words that I already, I've read this a million times. It's like, wow, I love him even more. I don't want your stuff. He's telling the church. I don't want your money. I don't want your money. I don't want, you know, I don't need your food. I'm not going to, you know, come into town and say, hey, I'm going to use your living room as my hotel. You know, I don't need no rides from point A to point B. I don't want your stuff. He says, I, do, I, I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. He, he's speaking to the church as their spiritual father. Remember when he write to a church, he's like, man, you know, I told you all these things. And now I have to tell you again, like I have to give birth to you again. And these are heavy words that he writes to different churches. You know, did I labor for you in vain? Was it all for nothing? I pray that it wasn't for nothing. And he would write these letters and pen these letters. So I, like, I have to give birth to you all over again. But he's telling him, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent, translates as be exhausted for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Culturally, what happened in this particular time period, the people started to hate Paul. Not all of them. But there were, you know, a bunch of people who would say, oh, you know, Paul, you know, he's an old man. He's weak. He writes all these letters. You know, he's too chicken to come here and speak to our faces. And it's sad because when Paul writes to Timothy, you read 2 Timothy. And you have all these people that, you know, Paul gave birth to, spiritually speaking, in terms of being the spiritual father. And he writes a letter, he's an old man in prison, and he's writing to Timothy. He says, you know, only these people are with me. Not a lot. But this is what he says in, in 2 Timothy. Verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Period. Only Luke, Dr. Luke. That's it. Only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. He's in prison. That's what I love about Paul. You can't stop this guy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful for, for, uh, to me for ministry. And Tychicus, uh, 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 I have sent to Ephesus. Bring a cloak that I left with Carpus in, in, at Troas, 
when you come and the books, especially the parchments, like hungry for all the, you know, get to bring me all these books so I can read. And, you know, I don't want to be stupid. He wants to read all these books, you know, writings, things of the Lord. I love it. So, and you know what? Paul named names. That's why I say, you know, I'm a chicken. Because Paul, look what he says in verse 14. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to, to his works. You know, Paul wasn't afraid. He would like name names. This guy was there harmful in the sake of the gospel. His name is Alexander. He writes to other pastors like in Titus and, you know, other parts of Timothy. He says their mouths must be stopped. That's what I love so much about Paul. He didn't mince words. And so here Paul is writing, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, verse 15. He says, I will very gladly be spend, uh, spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. You know, that's what happens in, in, in ministry. The Lord calls you into ministry. It doesn't matter whatever ministry it is. And when you're after the, Lord, the Lord's own heart and everything you're doing, it's for the Lord. Number one, people will hate you. And you're going to be loved less and less and less and less. For people pleasers, they bend to the will of the people. For God pleasers, they rejoice. They rejoice because they're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. He says, but be that as it may. I did not burden you. He didn't want to be a burden. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. I love this so much. Because despite being loved less and hated, he was still a fisherman. He still remained a fisherman. So a lot of times people think about this concept of offerings to the Lord. Oh, that's for the Old Testament. It's not for the New Testament. It's not for the New Covenant Church. Paul is the one who straight up says in 1 Corinthians 9, I had every right to take your money. I had every right in my authority in Christ Jesus. But I chose not to. I wanted to present the gospel of Christ free of charge. He says a little bit more in here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I do it gladly. It's for the Lord. I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to pass an offering plate around. I don't want to say, hey, you know, I want to go to Burger King. And, you know, you pay for it. Or, hey, you know, I'm in town. Let me, I'm going to sleep on your couch and whatever's in your fridge, I'm going to eat it all. No, he said, I, don't, I don't want to do it. And you read, we're going to get to it in the book of Acts. He was a tent maker. That was his business, his trade. He would go, go into town, make tents during the day. And then afterward, he would go and preach, go and teach. I have to tell you, you know, Paul is the model that I follow. I love, I'm so in love with Paul. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to meet him, talk with him, embrace him. I can't wait for that day. I, Paul, I know there were all these guys in the Bible, that, but, you know, men and women, but something about you, Paul. It's so cool to see these things, these passages. And when Paul pours into young Timothy, and we're going to read it in the book of Acts. One Sunday, we'll get there. 
But that doesn't change the nature of Paul's authority to say, hey, I'm going to pass out the offering plate. A lot of times people say, oh, that's for the Old Testament. That's an Old Testament thing. No, it's a new covenant thing too. And so now we're going to go back to this passage in Exodus 29. What is written in the law as a statute forever, as a due portion in perpetuity. That's what the Lord is telling for, to do to Moses. or, or that what the, That's what the Lord is telling for Moses to do with Aaron and his sons. And then once that's done, Aaron and his sons are going to do it for the people. It's the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. And, you know, and, you know, take that with a grain of salt, too, because the establishment of the Levitical priesthood was in Abraham's time. You say, what do you mean Abraham's time? And when you get read passages in Hebrews, the Lord teaches us about how this Levitical priesthood was in the loins of Abraham. That's why, you know, whenever I talk to men, sometimes young men in their 20s, you know, Sometimes teenagers have very major problems with sex, sexual sin. Major, major problems. And they just figure, yeah, you know, it feels good, all these things. I'm dating this girl, it feels good, whatever. It's like, you know, forget about what it feels like. You know, have high regard for your loins. Because you don't know what the Lord is going to do in, you know, the next generation and the next generation. When the Lord spoke to when the Lord spoke to Abraham, you know, you know, you're going to have babies. You know, the Lord, when the angel of the Lord came and he was in, in the tent of Abraham, you know, Abraham laughed. And then you keep reading and Sarah's in the other room and she kind of has her ear at the, the, the side where, you know, they're having this conversation. And she hears the angel of the Lord say, yeah, you know, you're going to have kids. And then she laughs, too. You talk to these young people, you know, they have very, very major problems with sexual sin. You say, well, it's not just for the young people. The old men have it too. Yeah, you're right. Old men have it too. It's almost like a major endeavor to try and undo that because the young men are following the examples of their, you know, forgive me for saying it like this, but they're weak dads. They're dumb dads, they're dumb grandfathers, dumb pastors, dumb elders who don't teach them these things. Hey, men, have regard for your seed. It's not just anything to throw away. It's not just anyone, anyone to put, you know, here, 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 here. You talk to these young men and they're like, wow, you know, why? Where do you get this? How do you understand? It's like, it's written. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Genesis to Revelation. So the Levitical priesthood, that when I say take it for a grain of salt, that it's being established here. No, it was established long ago in the loins of Abraham. That's what I mean. A lot of men today don't think that way. A lot of men, married men, men who are fathers of sons, they don't think that way. They don't pass this on to the next generation of righteousness. Not the next generation of the family name, 
the next generation of the name of Christ. And look what happens here. He says in verse 28, It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever. For it is a heave offering. This heave, it translates as a gift or a, a tribute or oblation. It's a gift. Notice in verse 28, it's from the children of Israel. From the children of Israel. For Aaron and his sons, the priests. This provision, you know, the people would come and give an offering. And, you know, it's specifically, whatever the offering is, this heave offering, it's specifically for Aaron and his, and his kids. That's when Paul writes about, you know what, guys, I have every authority to charge you money. Not charge money, but to take an offering. I have every right to. As, in, as my authority in Christ, I have every right to. But I don't want to. But it's still pleasing to the Lord, the act of giving. We're going to talk about it hardcore on Sunday. And we're going to see some major, major teachings about giving unto the Lord. And this is what he says here in verse 28. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering to the Lord. When you read verse 28, what I want you to take special notice of is the word from, the word to, and the word for. Because it's from the children of Israel. At the very beginning, from the children of Israel. And at the very end, it's to the Lord. But who does it, who's the benefactor of this offering to the Lord? Aaron and his sons. It's from the people to the Lord for the benefit of the priests, Old Testament and New Testament. Paul is the one who just says, you know what? I have every authority to, charge, to, to, to pass the offering plate. I shouldn't say charge, but I have every authority to, to take an offering for my benefit, for the benefit of, you know, the, uh, uh, his entourage that was with him. These godly men that were going town to town preaching the gospel. But he says... Nope, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I'm going to give the gospel of Christ to you. I'm going to teach Jesus Christ to you free of charge, free of charge. But that does not change the nature of what is pleasing unto the Lord. It's sacrifice. You know, you open up your wallet and it's like, man, I remember there were times when I would tell Liz, you know, we would pray. And I would tell her, man, you know, I know we tithe, but like, I want this to hurt. I, I really want to, because sometimes, you know, you write like a, a percentage and sometimes, you know, it, it might be like, you know, difficult, you know, it might be like, wow, you know, this hurts. But, you know, the Lord blessed us. The Lord blessed us in our jobs. The Lord blessed us in business and the Lord blessed us. He just blessed us. And, you know, percentages, it got to be a point where it's like, it, it didn't, it didn't hurt us. And so, you know, I was like, man, baby, you know, I really want this to hurt. I want to feel it. I want it to be a sacrifice. So we prayed about it. You know, I wrote a check. Signed my name. Dropped it in the thing. And man, it hurt. It hurt. We felt it. 
But you know what happened for the next couple months in business? The business was crazy. People say, oh, you know, what's your what's your marketing plan? What's the how do you do your marketing? How do you do this? Do you know how stupid I would be if they say, hey, what's this? You know how stupid they would, you know, if, if they say, how do you do this? And I say, well, I give to the Lord. People don't think that way. But in my heart of hearts, it's like, wow, you know, thank you, Lord. That's why it trips me out sometimes. You know, I talk with people and they tell me their problems, talk with them for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It's just nonstop. They're just talking, 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 talking. Not I'm a guy, I'm just a person. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, have you prayed to the Lord about this? No, I haven't really prayed to the Lord about it. I wanted to talk to you first. <laughs> I'm just a guy. You know? I told you, I'm just a little piece of toenail on your bathroom floor. And you're talking to that? And I'm the stupid one? No, talk to the Lord. This 20 minutes that, you know, I got to pick up my ears off the ground because you've been talking them off, you know. Talk to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. But they don't do that. There's no intimacy. And it's like, I can't force somebody, you know, hey, you know, you have your intimacy with the Lord. I can't force that. But I can urge like crazy, you know, have your intimacy with the Lord. Start with five minutes, you know, then 10 minutes, then 20. Then an hour. Just spend time with the Lord. That doesn't change at all the nature of the Lord in this act of giving unto Him. It is pleasing unto the Lord. And we're going to hit it hard on Sunday. Watch nobody be here. No, I'm just kidding. You know, nobody's going to But we're going to hit it hard on Sunday. And look what happens here in verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his son and the whole and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. It's an Old Testament example of the garment of Christ being transferred, being handed down to the next generation. What a message for dads. What a message for dads. To have all this knowledge of what you know in the Holy Word of God. To have all this knowledge and impart it to the next generation. Wow, what a big, I mean, it's such a great responsibility. Not in a freak, you know, freak out kind of context. But like, what a beautiful, beautiful, joyous responsibility. And it kills me because, you know, what do you have today? You have dads teaching their kids about Superman. Teaching their kids about Spider-Man. Teaching their kids, you know, singing little teacup songs and stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to sing to you these praise songs, these worship songs. I'm going to teach you these things and teach you not about Superman. Let me tell you about Paul. Let me tell you about Timothy. Let me tell you about Samuel. What a beautiful, beautiful opportunity, you know, to take this holiness, everything in here and just like, man, pour into this next generation. You know, that sadly, we're not going to get, I mean, it's, it's beautiful here what the Lord is, but you know, keep in mind, you know, what Moses sees when he comes down the mountain. And not just that, but also what you see too, is you have a couple of sons of Aaron that the Lord kills. He kills them. 
because they start to play games with him. They start to play games with the Lord. They don't follow the command of the Lord and the Lord kills them. But then there's some other sons where it's like, okay, this garment is now going to come off your dad and it's going to go on you as the high priest. You see, the Lord doesn't play games. That's what's so beautiful, the fear of the Lord. I mean, here you see the mercy and grace of the Lord, especially when Moses comes down the mountain and you see the mercy and the grace of the Lord because the Lord could have just wiped everybody out. In some passages, you know, he tells Aaron and Moses, he says, Aaron and Moses, you come stand over here. I'm going to wipe out everybody. And I'm going to start fresh with you. You know what's so cool about when he says that? And I don't mean cool like, you know, wow, this is awesome. He's going to kill everybody. I don't mean it like that. But the, the, such intimacy that the Lord has with Moses to even say that in earshot of Moses, knowing that Moses would say, no, Lord, what would the people say of you? What would these people who have heard of your hand and your great might, what would they say about you? But because of your mercy, let them live. Because of your mercy, forgive them. And that's when you start to see Moses as a type of Christ, an Old Testament example of a type of Christ. You say, how could it be a type of Christ when, you know, he himself was prohibited to go to the promised land? I said a type of Christ, not the Christ. That's what I love so much about the, the fallacy and the carnality in these godly people, men and women. Because you have little examples of righteousness in their lives, in their demeanor, in their behaviors. But then there's something that's found wanting. And I love it so much. Because they're not the Messiah. There's a second coming. There's not a second coming Messiah, but there's, you know, the coming Messiah. Kind of like the law, how the law was written with loopholes. It's not to say, wow, we're a people of the law. You know, look how awesome the law is. The law was made with loopholes. Because if it, did, it wasn't created with loopholes, then there wouldn't be a need for, you know, the law of Christ, the law of grace. But it was created with loopholes. You know, it's so, it's like, I don't claim to know the mind of the Lord, but it's like, you know, you read these passages and you start to see Old Testament, New Covenant together. And it's like, it's so, it's what a beautiful plan. What a beautiful, like, it's brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, who am I to even say those words? Like, wow, Lord, this is pretty brilliant. Who am I to even utter those words? But you remember a time period, you hit the rewind button from right here, and you hit the rewind button, and you remember a time where paradise was lost. And all these things put into motion, you get to the end of, 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 of Revelation and you see paradise gained. That's how much the Lord loves you. All these things put into motion because he loves you. Even the sacrifice of his only begotten son. These holy garments, he says in verse 29, of Aaron shall be his son's. Uh, after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. This is the Old Testament example of the next generation of righteousness. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, you know, there's sometimes when my mind just goes. Eh, I can't explain it. 
But my mind just goes off in la-la land sometimes. If there's ever times in your life where you let your mind just start to think about things. not I'm not speaking about like anything crazy. But make sure it's within the confines of, you know, truth. You know, don't let your mind go off into, you know, there's, you know, heaven is pink, you know. Make sure that you let your mind just start to wonder about heavenly things. Make sure you're in the confines of truth. But, you know, I start to think about Hannah. Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. Barren. Can't have babies. And she prays to the Lord, you know, and her husband, you know. Her husband kind of makes a joke about it. He's like, you know, hey, baby, aren't, aren't I better than ten sons? And she's still heartbroken. And so she goes to the, to the temple and she goes to pray. And it says that, you know, you read 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. And she goes there and praying and Eli, who's the high priest at that time, who had wicked sons. But Eli, the high priest, thought she was drunk because there she was just quiet. She wasn't, utter, wasn't uttering a word, but her mouth was moving. She was like praying in silence. And Eli was like, man, this lady's drunk. But no, the Lord was hearing her prayers. And her prayer was like, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. He will be yours. And the Lord opened her womb. And she had a son. She named, his, she named him Samuel. And she names him Samuel. And she makes these like clutchy. Once a year, she would make a robe for him. Little little baby, you know, and he's growing up. He's walking, and she would make this robe for him. And on top of that robe, he would have like this uh, uh, linen uh, ephod, which is like that's straight up like the high priest, the the clothing of the high priest. These blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses, and he would have this linen ephod. And it's so beautiful because you have this little boy Samuel, who once a year his mom would come and give me Here's your robe, Samuel. Because he was growing, he was getting bigger. Meanwhile, look at the high priest, look at Eli, who was wicked. He had wicked sons and he didn't correct them. He wanted to be his son's best friends. You get pictures like that where, you know, dads and moms want to be the best friend of their sons and daughters. No, be a mom, be a dad. Don't be the best friend of your son or daughter, be a parent. Teach them these things. Pass these on to the next generation. And then they give you grandbabies. Give it to the grandbabies too. Like a double whammy for the grandbabies. The grandkids are like hit on all sides. They have mom and dad pouring into them. And then they have grandma and grandpa pouring into them. But no, everybody wants to be best buds. And so Hannah would make this, give it, and... You know, and he would have this linen uh, uh, ephod on his breastplate. It's like, wow, this is so cool. And the real high priest, I shouldn't say the real high priest. I mean, he was the high priest, but he never corrected his sons. And it, the Bible says that the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But you know who heard the voice of the Lord? Little Samuel. Little, he didn't even know what it was. He was like, what is that? He was afraid. He was like, I heard a voice. And he would run to Eli. Eli, I heard a voice. Eli's like, go to sleep. Then finally, Eli told him, you know, ask him, say, here am I, Lord. 
And so Samuel was back in his bed and he hears the voice. He says, hear my Lord. And the Lord spoke to them and it was judgment on Eli in the home of Eli. It's so beautiful. Hannah, she had six kids. She was barren and she had six kids. After Samuel, she had more five more kids that were for her. The Lord blessed her. So you read these passages, these blueprints about this garment for the next generation to be passed from Aaron to his sons. But sometimes I got to tell you, Satan attacks dads. Satan attacks husbands. You cut off the head. If Satan cuts off the head, you know, what is left for the family? That's like Hannah. You have wives that are like Hannah now. Okay, my husband isn't going to, you know, clothe my son, clothe my daughter. So you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to be like Hannah and clothe my son, clothe my daughter in righteousness. You ever talk to women who are like, man, you know, my husband, he, he makes fun of me. He doesn't like it when I come to church. He gets he drinks. He does all these things. He makes fun of me. He does all these things. But you know what? You can be like a covering. Your husband's not a covering to you. So you can be like a covering to him. And your kids stay clean. And your husband is sanctified by your sacrifice. People say, oh, you know, you talk to these wives, these women. You know, and it blows me away so much because these are things that are written. Paul writes about it hardcore. Timothy, you know, Paul writes about it to young Pastor Timothy. And so here he says in verse 30, that son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place, to minister in Kodesh in the Hebrew. It's a holy place, a sanctuary, a hallowed place, a hallowed place. It's very holy before the Lord. And all this time, it's like, well, you know, these, remember, it's just the intimacy that Moses is having in the cloud on the mountain. And just teaching him. And don't forget too, outside the cloud, is another beautiful man by the name of Joshua. Joshua. Who isn't tainted with the people, that's going, the things that are going on at the bottom of the hill. You go up the hill, you see Joshua. You go up the mountain even more, you see a cloud, and that's where Moses is. In verse 31, And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made. Remember, this atoning, it's for the people. It's for the people. To consecrate and to sanctify them. The Lord is giving these blueprints to Moses to do for Aaron and his sons. But then Aaron and his sons are going to do it for the people. To consecrate them and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them. Notice, an, an outsider shall not eat them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. It's not for everybody to do. It's not for everybody. This Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, 
It's not just a job. It's not a job with a title. You know, and I kind of think about it in New Covenant context. And I think, you know, remember, I'm going to speak as a fool. I'm the lowest form of trash. I'm a dirty fingernail on the floor. Stuck in the corner. But pastor, elder, deacon, bishop. It's not just a, a title. You know, people wear it like a title. Wow, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a co-pastor in a church. I have a special parking spot that says pastor, head pastor. You know, I only have to walk five feet. You know, or I have the, the next best parking spot and it says co-pastor. And I have the next best parking spot and it says elder. But these qualities of the individual, they're based on holiness. And what you see that's written in the Bible, it's not just a title. It's not like, you know, like a little thing you wear on your chest, like, oh, pastor, head pastor. In this fellowship, I am, you know, the co-pastor. The head pastor is Jesus Christ. He's the head pastor. And you know what you start to see in the Old Testament? People in this Levitical priesthood who start to play games with the Lord. They might love the Lord, but they don't fear the Lord. And that's not to say like, you know, wow, you know, look, look how awesome I am. It's not to say that I'm speaking foolishly as a fool. But you see it in the New Testament too. People who are elders, people who are pastors. Paul, you know, he gathers the elders before he goes into Rome. He, he gathers the elders to him. And he's crying. He's weeping. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm so sad. And they're like, Paul, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? He says, I know that from among you. Among you. Like the very people he was speaking to. I know that from among you, ravenous wolves will come. Wow, that's... If I was in that group and I was like, Paul, what's the matter? You know, why are you crying? What's the matter, Paul? And I hear him say, ravenous wolves will come among, from among you. That would terrify me to hear those words. That would stir up my heart even more to say, man, you know, the pride of life, all of these things, man, I'm denying all these things. I don't want to be a wolf. But this nature of warfare, it's very, very real. I mean, you see pastors who like fall. People who go into ministry and then they fall. And look at what it does for the name of Christ. You try to, you know, you talk to people about Jesus Christ and they think you're crazy. And a lot of times they think you're crazy because of what they see in other Christians, what they see in other churches, what they see in other pastors. Well, I'm never setting foot in that church because, you know, there's some sexual stuff going on. I saw it on the news, you know, the pastor had sex with a girl. He went to prison. I'm never setting foot in that church. And you hear about that and it breaks your heart, but you, you can't disagree with them. And I would never step foot in that church either. But you're blaming Jesus Christ for the sin of man. You're looking to Christians. And sadly, we live in a day and age where you can't say, hey, look at Christians. 
because, you know, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. A lot of Christians are playing games with the Lord. They have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Yeah, they'll go to church on Sunday, but they'll do their crack on Monday. Yeah, they'll go to church on Wednesday, but, you know, they're doing their sexual stuff on Thursday. And the world sees it and they say, I don't want anything to do with that. And I don't blame them. But they need to look at Jesus Christ. That's who we all need to look at, Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord is saying here in verse 33. An outsider shall not eat them. It's special for the priesthood. It's not for an outsider. It's no small thing. Because they are holy. It speaks of the qualities of an individual. A lot of times, you know, remember, when you read the Old Testament, it's a beautiful thing to read the law, but not the letter of the law, the spirit of the law. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they read the letter of the law, but they were blind to the spirit of the law. That's when Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. He was referring to the spirit of the law. In verse 34, and if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. So it's either consumed by the priests or it's consumed by the fire. No leftovers. No leftovers. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of what we read in, in Matthew chapter 6, how each day has enough problems of its own. Each day has enough worries of its own. There's enough sin in a day. Enough sin in a day. A lot of times, you know, you talk to people who are caught up in wild, wild sin. And they're like, wow, Jay, I can't do that. You know, baby steps. Baby steps. Then you start to see somebody who's, you know, on meth. You know, he's got his crack pipe. He puts those down and now he's smoking cigarettes. He puts the cigarettes down and now he's vaping. He puts the vaping down and now he's, you know, he's not cussing anymore. He's not cussing anymore and it's like, okay, cool. He's being cleaned and cleansed. It's a process. Sometimes it's instant. But sometimes it's a process. In verse 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. Remember. I can't stress this enough. I've already stressed it enough in past chapters that when Moses is having a special intimacy with the Lord. But have you ever had very special intimacy with the Lord? Like, like you hate to utter the words, amen. You, hate, you can't stand it. Because the second you say, amen, you close your, you have to open your eyes again. Or have you ever said, amen, and you can't open your eyes? Because the tears have dried and you have to like, you know, lift your eyelids. Because they're stuck together. And you say, amen, you have to open your eyes. 
and then you're in this dumb world. But imagine Moses coming down the mountain like, wow, this is so cool. I can't wait to tell Aaron. And then what he sees before him. That does never, ever, ever change the mercy and grace of God, our Father. Never does it change his mercy and grace. Because you see grace and mercy bestowed unto Aaron, unto his sons, and unto the people. How God can restore anybody, anybody who believes. In verse 36 says, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You're going to start to see, it's like, wow, this is pretty frequent. You see these things. Every day, a sin offering, and not just a little turtle dove, a straight up bull. Every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint, anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. So this sin offering is daily and this atonement for the altar is weekly. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Must be holy. You start to see like, wow. Our culture has lost this concept of holiness. The, the same way the culture has lost the concept of honor. You talk with like a 20-year-old a kid about honor. He's like, what does that mean? I've never heard that word before. Because parents don't pass honor down to their kids. Character, it's not taught, it's not held in high esteem anymore. And then so you know somebody comes to church, they learn all these things, and it's the Holy Spirit that does the teaching. Godly character. Honor unto the Lord. And then a person can learn, wow, that's what holiness is. This is what's holy. Old Testament, this is holy. New Testament, this is what's holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day continually. Wow, there's a lot of blood. A lot of blood. Remember, life is in the blood. You start to see a lot of blood that's written here in the law. You know what that means? There's a lot of sin. A lot of sin. Atonement for sin. You know what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes? There's going to be a resumption of the offering in accordance with the law. And the Antichrist is going to come in. And the Bible teaches when you read the prophecies in the book of Daniel, he says he's going to cause the off the sin offering and oblation to cease. I mean, like animal rights activists. You know, imagine if you hear in the news, Israel is starting to sacrifice all these animals again. I mean, they've already started sacrificing animals. But like large scale, daily and you're going to see it on the news. Wow, you know, all these animal rights activists are complaining. It's too much blood, too many animals. And I'm not advocating the law. But there is going to be a person that comes on the scene, some kind of world leader who's going to say, you guys don't have to do that anymore. A fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
Verse 39, one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin. The ephah and hin, it's a unit of measurement. One-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. You say, what do you mean a drink offering? What does this mean? Turn with me really quick to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And I love Paul so much. There's so many people I love in the Bible. But then there's like... Like hundreds of people. But then there's like, you know, the top 10. Then you have like the top five. Then you have your three. It's like, whoa, these. So look what happens here. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. That's what, you know, it's a process. When you're in the flesh, you know, you, you're full of blame. You're not harmless. But empowered by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, you can become blameless and harmless. He says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's like the wave offering in the Old Testament, what we read just a little bit ago. It's like an Old Testament example of this very thing. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Remember, you know, I gave that example. I have my, my lamb without blemish. I give it to fur and fur kills it and sprinkles some of the blood. And then he holds a portion of it and he waves it up high. He waves it. Think of the people, the congregation of Israel. And they see, wow, you know, Jay brought this thing up to fur. This offering, you know. People talk about, you know, you, you see like in small cultures, you know, you know, there's a lot of gossiping going on. Oh, look at Jay's son. Look at Jay's daughter. All this sin, there's sin in this camp. She brought shame to the home. Yeah, there is shame in my home. But I'm atoning for that. I take my thing. Fur raises it up. Look, it's a wave offering. And then he hands it back to me. And then I wave it. It's a wave offering. And then I give it back to Fur, and he waves it again, and it's for all the people to see. It's like, wow, sin is atoned for. Yeah, there was shame brought under Jay's tent, but not anymore. The Lord has cleansed it because of this holy process. And that's where the same thing happens here as New Covenant believers. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's like that wave offering for all to see. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on your sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. 
You see what Paul is saying about his own life being a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of their faith. You start like, it's mind blowing. What we're reading in the Old Testament is, is an example of this new covenant truth. The drink offering being poured out on the altar in the Old Testament. And what is the altar in accordance with the new covenant? The sacrifice and service of the faith of the people. And Paul is saying, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. As new covenant believers. That's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law says, okay, we're going to do this. Here's my animal. First going to cut it. First going to sprinkle the blood and follow the instructions, you know, robotic. You know, the instructions say this. Therefore, boom, I'm going to do all these things. And it's like robots. You could look at that and be like, wow, you know, he's performing everything that is written. It's a good thing. But no, what does the spirit of the law say? Paul writes about it right here. That's the spirit of the law. His life being poured out as a drink offering on the service of their, the sacrifice and service of the faith of the people. One body, one accord, one mind. You see how beautiful this is? The congregation of the saints. Koinonia. Oneness. You know how people say, oh, the, the miracles that you see in Acts, all these things, that's for 2,000 years ago. No, I don't see that at all in the Bible. But you know what I see? You know, what's up with this pornography in your home? Why is your pastor on drugs? Why is the elder, you know, an alcoholic? Why is your youth leader sleeping with these teenage girls? How can the Holy Spirit do these works? When look at the temples, look at the vessels. That's the disconnect. So these Old Testament examples ring true as new covenant believers. Look at what he says here, going back to Exodus 29. In uh, verse 40. With, the, with one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering. And we read the, uh, 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 what, what Paul writes about in Philippians 2. But notice this sacrifice includes flour, flour for bread, oil, and wine. Does that sound familiar as New Covenant believers? Sacrifice isn't just a tip, you know, when you, if you were going to make a tithe unto the Lord or make an offering unto the Lord, it's not just a tip. Oh, yeah, Lord, you know, I could have spent $10 on, you know, Starbucks, but no, here, I'm just going to give it to the church. Oh, no big deal. You know, I found $20 on the ground. So here, I'm just going to give it to the church. Wow, look how holy I am. No, it's the sacrifice, just as is written here in verse 40, mixed with the bread of life, mixed with the blood of the lamb, mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's pleasing unto the Lord. It's an act of worship unto the Lord. 
It's an act of worship. Paul is the one who just straight up says, I don't want your money. I'm going to win your soul by cunning to present to the Lord one day. But that doesn't change the nature of this act of worship and sacrifice unto the Lord, which we're going to hit hardcore on Sunday. And verse 41 says, And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. An offering made by fire to the Lord. You start to see how it's a sweet aroma unto the Lord. As new covenant believers, corporately speaking, as one church body, I wonder what our aroma smells like unto the Lord. The aroma of righteousness. Have you ever sat right next to, say you're sitting in a chair and somebody sits right next to you. Him or her, you know their conduct. And sometimes it's, it's, it's almost like an aroma. And sometimes the aroma of righteousness, I shouldn't say sometimes, you can smell it. I can't explain it. It's like a supernatural thing. But you like the presence of these people because it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. But then somebody comes and sits next to you and you know, you, you see them on Facebook. You can't follow them on social media anymore because they're posting about, you know, their party lifestyle. You know, oh yeah, New Year's Eve and look what I was doing. I was getting as high as a kite. And it's like a stench. They come and sit next to you, you know, and you're like, oh, I can't stand this. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to sit on the other side. It's palpable. And you know what I love so much about pastors and elders? Biblically speaking. And I'm, I'm a fool, okay? The lowest form of trash known to mankind. It's almost like we're bathers. Someone could come in filthy, come in, have a seat. And it's almost like this holy word of God is this big basin of water. Healing waters, cleansing waters. And I take a towel, I take a cloth and I dip it in. And supernaturally, you know, let me wipe that off. Let me clean you up. Spiritually speaking, not everybody can do that. It's not just a process where, you know, some Joe Schmo can, you know, park in the park in a pastor's parking spot. It says head pastor. He parks there. Comes in, puts the title on his on his chest. Head pastor. Has this big old pulpit is wearing this big old suit. Wow, this looks like a holy guy has all his plaques on the wall. His, you know, degree in theology or whatever master's degree, you know, from uh, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. But if he doesn't meet the biblical qualifications of pastor, being a pastor or being an elder, if he doesn't meet those qualifications and lives those qualifications, he's unable to take that cloth. He's unable to dip it here. He's unable to cleanse the sheep. Unable to cleanse the sheep. Nowadays, you have women doing it. They are unable to do that. Because there's disalignment. 
with Holy Scripture. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. But it's supernatural. People come in, you know, I, I only see you guys twice a week. You come in, it's like, wow, you know, I don't know what you guys were doing. I don't know what you're involved. I don't know who you had lunch with. Maybe you're hurt. I take my cloth. Oh, you know, it's going to be okay. Spiritually speaking. You had lunch with a heathen, you know, it's like you're eating your burger and he's talking about his strip club stuff, you know. I take my cloth and let me, let me clean your ears. I pray, Lord, erase that, whatever that guy was talking about, erase it. I don't want it to impact, I don't want it to make your sheep dirty. It's such a holy thing. And it's beautiful. It's how sheep become clean. It's from his word. But that's what I love so much about pastors and elders. Godly ones, not the perverts, not the druggies, not the sickos, not the ones that should be lifted from the pulpit and thrown in the trash bin. The ones who have every right to be at the pulpit. The ones who have every right to teach God's word. There are men that I listen to and it's like, wow, it's like medicine for my soul. And there are ones that I listen to and I can't stand. I can listen to maybe three seconds. I can't stand the sound of their voice. But these godly men, they teach and it's like, wow. And I pray for their fellowships. Man, the people have no idea. Maybe some do. Maybe they all do. But man, this fellowship is so blessed to have a pastor like this. To have a co-pastor like this. To have elders like this. That protect the sheep. That cleanse them. Sheep come in hurt. And they're cared for by the word, you know. Let me wipe this. Let me dry those tears. Let me clean your mind. That garbage that you were listening to with this guy at work. Let me clean your mind. You were influenced by all these things. And it comes from the word. It's like this holy basin. It's not just for anybody. That's what happens in the Old Testament. You have these schmucks, Eli's sons. Like, oh yeah, we were born in the priesthood. You know, the people come, you know, atone for their sins. Here, let me go have sex with their daughters. Does that ring a bell? It sounds very familiar to today. A pastor says, oh, you know what? I've, you know, I'm getting old. Then my son's going to be the next pastor. And, you know, unbeknownst to the body, maybe like five women in the church, that son has had sex with a whole bunch of women in the church. Liz and I have talked with women before where the lady says, you know, I, I've never told this to anybody, but, you know, the pastor wanted, asked me to have sex. And here he is, you know, held in high esteem at the people. What in the world? It's like people don't fear the Lord. This is what the Lord says. He says, this shall be a, in verse 42, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you. See how intimacy 
how intimate this is. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. It's no small thing at all. The letter of the law says, okay, boom, boom, boom. We're going to do this. Everybody's a robot. Take this, cut the animals, sprinkle the blood, all these things. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law says, here, come here. Let me clean you. Let me wipe this sin from you. That's the spirit of the law. Where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. God's glory sanctifying the tabernacle. What about God's glory sanctifying your temple? So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. You start to see Moses as God's fellow worker. Because remember, God is giving this blueprint to Moses. Remember when the people in the early, the early chapters of 1 Corinthians... And there was this division in the church. People say, oh, I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Paul writes a letter back. Hey, you guys, we're nothing. Some people plant, some people water. But it's God who gives the increase. We're nothing. It's the Lord. He says we're his fellow co-workers. But it's God who brings the increase. This is in verse 45. He says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. In the past, remember Moses like, who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord says, I am. Tell them I am that I am. Here, he says, I am the Lord, their God. You know, in your own personal life, has there ever been a time where you're like, I don't know who you are, Lord. All I know is that you're God. But then you fast forward to like the present right now. And it's like, whoa, Lord, you are my God. You are my God. You are the Lord and you are my God. That's the nature of our Lord, Old Testament and New Testament. And next week, Lord willing, we'll continue in chapter 30. So let's... <clears throat>